Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I believe, and I mean, I truly believe in my mind that if this they came up with some way to bring the dead back to life. And they were able to bring Helen Nardi back to life. And she said, no, he's not the one to kill me. Phil Archer and Dean Mosley would call her either a liar or say she was in denial. Are you more frustrated now, two years later, or? Yes, I am. Yeah. Because I can't understand. I, I, I look at it and I, what is going on? I cannot understand why people can't see what is going on. I keep hearing the state over and over and over again talking about, oh, well, this could have happened and that could have happened. That's not what was told to the jury. I'm John A. Torres, and welcome to a special update episode on Season 1 subject, Gary Bennett. You may have heard me recently say, or you may have read my story in Florida Today, suggesting some good news may be on the horizon for Gary. Well, that's what I want to address in this episode. See, I recently drove up to Tallahassee to attend a hearing of the Florida Commission on Offender Review, which is a fancy way of saying parole board. But before I tell you what happened... Let's backtrack a bit and recap Gary's sad story because it has been a few years. Gary was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison for the 1983 murder of his neighbor, Helen Nardi. Nardi, who was 55, was as unsavory a character as I have ever written about. The state took custody of two of her children after it was revealed that she had been selling them sexually to landlords for rent considerations. The state did not take her oldest daughter, Mary, who was 15, because Nardi allowed her to marry a 53-year-old man once she turned 16. Yes, you heard that right, 53-year-old man. The man was 10 years older than Nardi, the girl's mother. And, oh yeah, around the time frame that she was murdered, Nardi was involved in a sexual relationship with her 65-year-old son-in-law, Kermit Parkins. On July 13, 1983, Nardi was found stabbed in her trailer 28 times by four different weapons. The kind of brutality that homicide experts like Tom Davis said seemed very personal. Also, interestingly, Nardi's naked body was covered by a sheet. Again, to homicide agent Tom Davis, that suggested the killer might have felt some remorse or shame and may have been close to Nardi. The Palm Bay police called in to investigate noted strange behavior by Nardi's daughter Mary and her husband, and in fact, when cops showed up on the scene, Mary's first words were, it wasn't Kermit, referring to her husband. As you've often heard on this podcast, police fairly quickly zeroed in on someone, an easy target with not a whole lot going on for them, Gary Bennett. Why Gary? Well, 
there was a half a palm print on a dresser in Nardi's hallway that extended into her bedroom. It belonged to Gary. But here's the thing. Gary told police he had been in the home before. They were neighbors, and his family knew Nardi. The police also found lots of unidentified prints taken from Nardi's bedroom. Gary's half a palm print was kind of low on the dresser in a weird spot, and that's what raised eyebrows among police. But there was other evidence. There were also two pubic hairs found. They did not belong to Nardi. They also did not match Gary. Gary passed a lie detector test, meaning he showed no deception. He was also administered a rape test kit, which showed that he had not been involved in a sexual assault. The lead detective in the case, Leroy Dunning, knew Mary Parkins and Carmen Parkins, and was once actually their landlord. Now, there hasn't been any evidence that he was involved in the sex trading, but he knew them. And so right off the bat, he probably should have recused himself. Anyway, the case was presented to the state attorney's office, but with such little evidence against Gary, they needed more. They called in dog handler and expert state witness John Preston, who testified that his dog identified Gary's scent on the murder weapon. Of course, we know now that Preston was a fraud, and there was very strong evidence to suggest that prosecutors knew he was full of malarkey back then, too. Some have said that Preston would actually ask for information on the cases before he ran any tests. On top of that, the state brought in two jailhouse snitches who said Gary confessed in the county jail to them. Of course, they were offered sweetheart deals for their testimony. And Gary was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. And 35 years later, he is still trying to prove his innocence. Hey, just a quick reminder here, if you like investigative journalism like this and what we do with our free podcast, Murder on the Space Coast, please give us a five-star review on whatever app you are listening on. And please consider a digital subscription to Florida Today. The cost is less than a cup of coffee per month and would go a long way to ensure we can keep doing this. Just go to floridatoday.com slash subscribe. Back to Gary. His parole date has been set for the year 2037, the year he turns 80. But parole was something Gary has never cared about. Gary insists he's innocent. And remember, he's always said that if and when he's released, he doesn't want to have to ask anyone for permission to go where he pleases. I want the truth to be told. I have done everything in my power. I have taken a lie detector test. I have taken a rape kit test. I have tried to take a DNA test, but they destroyed the evidence, so I couldn't take the DNA test. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I will do anything in my power to uh, prove my innocence. And I'm not looking for money or anything else. I just want to be able to, when I get out, to say, okay, I'm going to go to my, where my mom's ashes are spread where my sister's ashes are spread, where my brother's ashes are spread, without having to ask somebody's permission and have to wait for three months for somebody to decide whether or not it's important enough for me to go where my people are buried. So Gary was not looking for parole as his way out. But Gary has a new ally, retired attorney Frank Clifford, who was outraged at the case against Gary after listening to season one of this podcast. He became involved and it came to his attention that the parole board had scheduled a hearing to consider changing Gary's parole date. Supposedly, a new date was under consideration for 2021, only two years away. 
Now, it's unclear where this date came from. I'll explain in a bit. So with camera and audio recorder in tow, I drove five hours to attend the meeting in Tallahassee. The only person on hand to speak on Gary's behalf was Frank Clifford, who was afforded 10 minutes to state his case. The room resembled your typical city council chamber with a slightly elevated area against the back wall for the panel members to sit at a table behind nameplates and microphones. The public area sat roughly 50, mainly family members who were there to speak on behalf of the incarcerated who were not present. Gary's case was the second on a long docket, and Frank Clifford was allowed to address the board. I'm here in support of Gary Bennett. I've known Gary Bennett for three years, and I probably today stand here in front of you as the person who knows him the best uh, right now. Uh, He has two older sisters, and they knew him the best up until he was age 26 and and went away. Uh, I I visited him and spent a lot of time with him face-to-face. It's one thing to talk on the phone. It's one thing to write, send emails. But when you're dealing with somebody face-to-face, that's when you get to know someone. I practiced law for 40 years uh, in another state. And uh, uh, I've gotten to know people. And uh, I also have gotten to know that uh, to accept uh, with, with the degree of uh, with the degree of uncertainty uh, information that they give without verifying it with other people. Mr. Bennett is sentenced uh, to a life for a murder he did not commit. We're not here to relitigate it. The point I want to make is that he spent 35 years and two months uh, in the Department of Corrections. In his mind and in the mind of those of us who have gone through the record as an, as an innocent person, there are innocent people inside the DOC today. Uh, I've said 35 years and two months, but from now on I'm going to say 12,826 days. Gary is not a violent person. He's a very voracious reader. He dropped out of high school in his junior year at Melbourne High School and has not had subsequent education or any kind of skill training. But I have found him to be a very direct and honest person. Uh, He's not often totally articulate and he's not often tactful or diplomatic in his presentation, but he's not the kind of person who looks for fights. And I wanted to stress what I did in my letter, that his record would reveal no serious activity, no escapes or attempted escapes, no type of violent DNRs, no type of extortion, no gambling, no tattoos, no stealing, no contraband, no lying to staff, no gang-related activity, no illegal drug activity, and no illegal sex activity, even though in the closing argument at his trial, the assistant state attorney told the jury the only motive for the murder was sex. Uh, I find it very curious that in 12,826 days, there's never been even a DR or a DR related to, to sex. A DR is a disciplinary report, and Frank is right. I mean, Gary is no angel. But the bulk of his DRs over the years have been for answering back or not following the rules or fighting. Let me explain the fighting. Now, Gary is tiny. His nickname has always been Pee-wee. And though he said he never goes looking for trouble, in prison you have to stand up for yourself or else you'll always be a target. For example, when he was transferred last year to another prison, he said he was forced to prove he wasn't a pushover. I'm not new to the game. Right. 
but they see an old white guy that they automatically say, okay, he's new, so he's going to give me the money, and I'm not going to be taken advantage of. I'm not a bad, excuse my French, I'm not a badass. Uh, I don't try to be one. I've never acted like one, but I don't run from anybody. Yeah. And uh, if somebody steals my radio, my electric shaver, which I don't have, uh, or anything like that, I'm going to go to war yeah. to get my stuff back. Yeah. And uh, I'll probably lose, but that's uh, the point of the thing is you're just not going to walk on. To, so I don't, if I don't have this stuff, it can't be stolen. After being prosecuted with phony evidence and testimony, Gary has accumulated 24 DRs in 35 years. And I don't know, but that really doesn't seem like an awful lot. I mean, how else would an innocent man behave in prison over 35 years? And here's a list of the DRs, of which he has not had one since early 2017. He has six counts of disobeying orders, five counts of being disrespectful, four counts of fighting, four counts of disorderly conduct, and one count each of failing personal hygiene, unarmed assault, having a cell phone in his cell, issuing a spoken threat, and one count of being in position of a stimulant. By the way, his last fighting DR came nine years ago. And I bring this up, why? Well, listen to what the parole board had to say. Knowledge over his institutional conduct with how he's been in prison, there are several DR received for fighting, spoken threats, disorderly conduct, um, possession of stimulants, more fighting, more disorderly conduct, unarmed assaults, and things like that. So I don't know if Mr. Bennett's relaying this information to you or not, but he has a litany of discipline issues since he's been in prison. That was one of the board commissioners, David Wyant. And here is another commissioner, Richard Davison. And so what we have here is a, a 35-year history of Mr. Bennett and the correctional system that factually supports him failing to comply with the rules of the institution, failing to comply with the rules of society as he is convicted of first-degree murder, which he continues to deny. But the facts of that case are uh, particularly egregious with the multiple stabbing of the, the victim. And that is why, uh, frankly, he's in prison today. And so this is a subsequent hearing, and the recommendation is to extend his PPRD based upon unsatisfactory institutional conduct. And my review of this case uh, supports that recommendation. My vote is to extend by 48 months based upon the seriousness of the offense, which was set the new PPRD at April 13, 2041. Did you catch that? They tacked on four years. And one of the reasons they gave was this. He is convicted of first-degree murder, which he continues to deny. Well, if you're innocent, wouldn't you continue to deny it? Remember, Gary was offered a deal before his trial. If he pled guilty to second-degree murder, he would get seven years. Instead, he went ahead and faced the death penalty. A jury found him guilty, but spared his life by giving him life in prison. If I, if I were guilty, if I were guilty, and they came and said, time served, I'd say, oh, let's go. Yeah. In a heartbeat. Yeah. But I had nothing to do with it. Right. I faced being killed the first time, executed, 
by saying, no, I will not accept second degree. Right. And it's 35 years later, I'm not about to say, oh yeah, time served, yeah, anything you say. No. How on earth can they hold maintaining his innocence against him? As a mark to bring up in denying his parole, how can they? I have to tell you that Frank Clifford, myself, and filmmaker Corey Frost, who was working on a documentary about the Preston cases, were kind of speechless as we left the hearing room. It felt like a surreal gut punch. I mean, I had never heard Frank Clifford curse, and well, once he caught his breath, he started letting loose outside with a blue streak that would make even Chef Gordon Ramsay blush. Even though he kept his cool and was very respectful at the hearing, I think it was the whole condescending tone of the board that set him off. And I found it striking because Frank Clifford is a very mild-mannered, well-spoken sort of man. Here's an example of what I'm talking about, the tone from the commission. The advice that I can give to you to give to him is to follow the rules so that we don't have a similar outcome the next time the case comes before us in seven years. Yep, Gary can have another one of these hearings in seven years. But if he keeps maintaining his innocence, then why even bother? Frank's reply? We have not given up our, our legal hope yet of exonerating him. Thank you very much. And so earlier I mentioned something about the proposed date of Gary's eligibility for parole being unclear. And that's because Frank Clifford and Gary were under the impression the recommendation was to shave significant time off of the date. I wasn't privy to their conversations or the interviewee's initial recommendation, but either someone got the information wrong or the board decided to act on its own and simply tack on the time because Gary wouldn't admit to murder and because of the 24 DRs in 35 years. And so what happens now to Gary Bennett? Well, Frank Clifford promises to keep fighting. Remember, he has also been working on a bill that, if passed, would force appellate judges to issue opinions on their denials when asked. Without an opinion, if an appellate judge denies the appeal, the case cannot move to a higher court. And that's where Gary's has been for years and years. Stuck. Uh, see, last year when I spoke with the attorney for the Senate Judiciary Committee, she said there's a history in Florida that the appellate courts don't rehear cases decided by prior courts. Again, one of these bullshit limitation right. types of things. Well, forget about justice. Right. Yeah, you know, he's in jail. He's in jail already. Yeah, right. Yeah. So why the case why, is solved? Yeah. Why, why, yeah. Right. Why, why should we? Why should we take right. up a, a, a another case like that? Right. Innocence is irrelevant. Uh, We've heard that before, from another of the fraudulent dog handlers' cases. Innocence is irrelevant. That was uttered by a state prosecutor trying to keep DNA evidence from being heard in the case against wrongfully incarcerated Wilton Dedge who served 22 years for a rape he did not commit. The prosecutor was trying to keep out the same evidence that wound up clearing him. That's the kind of mentality that Gary Bennett is up against as well. No one cares that he was put away with fake evidence and the testimony from jailbirds who were compensated for it. No, what's important now is that Gary, despite his Kafka-esque existence, must obey the rules and follow orders. Until next time, I'm John A. Torres. Remember, if you enjoy investigative journalism like this, please help support us by subscribing to Florida Today by going to MurderOnTheSpaceCoast.com. I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter 
at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And follow the podcast at 321Murder. For more information on these cases and web exclusives, please go to MurderOnTheSpaceCoast.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.